we will be starting our scripture in the book of Exodus, chapter 1. Um, that we'll be reading from the ESV version. So if you have your Bibles, I'll give you a few moments to turn to it. Uh, it's the second book of your Bible, Exodus 1. Uh, and we'll be reading again from the verses chapter 1 through 14. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulon, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, God, and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died and all his brothers and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. May God bless the reading of his word. Over to you, Minister Jeff. Good morning. Welcome again to our Crossbridge live stream worship service. Uh, we're so glad you could join us this morning, you know, even, even if it is from home. As Emily mentioned, this is our eighth live stream service. Can you believe that? I, I have to remind myself that it's, it's May now and it's not March and March is not 10 weeks long. Uh, nevertheless, uh, we're, we're hanging in there together as a, as a church, as a community. Um, and I, I encourage you, please come and, and pray with us on Sunday mornings. Uh, on, at 9.30, we have a Zoom call where, where several of us come together to acknowledge our finitude, our, our frailty, uh, our utter dependence on God. We pray for the worship service. We pray for our pastors and church leaders, and especially for the situation that most, if not the entire world, finds itself in right now. Now, today marks the beginning of a new sermon series that, that's going to take us through close to the end of June. Some of you might have seen it on our social media or on our website, or, or maybe in the digital bulletin, the order of worship that you guys received through the email. Uh, the sermon series is called, He Hears, He Remembers, He Sees, He Knows. It's, it's taken from Exodus chapter 2, verses 24 to, 20, uh, to 25, where uh, there we see God is responding towards the suffering that his people Israel is going through as slaves in Egypt. And so our sermon series is actually going to take us through the first few chapters of Exodus. And we're going to see themes of God's deliverance, uh, his sovereignty, and, and particularly the unfolding of salvation history. As we see God work out his plan of redemption for his people, uh, both then and now. 
Now, since now since we're starting a new book, it, it might be helpful just to to give a bit of a background. Uh, Exodus, as Emily mentioned, is is the second book of the Old Testament. It's the second book of what we call the the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible. So Moses, he's the author. He's writing these books, and he he intends for them to be understood and read together. We're going to see that later on as we work through our passage. Now, what we find at the beginning of Exodus is that the people of Israel, God's people, they're in servitude to Pharaoh, king of Egypt. They are slaves. They're facing challenges, uh, oppression, hardship, suffering. The list goes on. If we zoom out a little bit more, Exodus as a whole can be divided into two main sections. So some scholars, they have this technical term for it. They call it a bifid composition, uh, which is really just a, a fancy term for a, a two-part division. So there's a couple different ways for us to think about Exodus, uh, to think about this two-part division. For one, on the, in the first half, uh, chapters 1 to 18 or 19, we see God rescuing his people from Egypt, uh, delivering Israel, and bringing them to Mount Sinai. And then the second half, around chapters 20 uh, to 40, we see God making his covenant with his people at Mount Sinai. Uh, he's explaining to them how they're to think of themselves in relationship to, them, to him, uh, more specifically, how they're to live as his people. So, for example, if the covenant can be boiled down into the simple statement, I will be your God and you will be my people, then God is, is laying out for his people what that means, what that looks like. Now, deliverance is, is going to be a huge thing for us in the book of Exodus. But deliverance from what? To what? For what? So another way to think about this bifid composition or this two-part division is uh, not necessarily going from slavery to freedom. Uh, that, that tends to be how we, we think about the history of Israel and Egypt. Uh, but I think Exodus paints a picture of deliverance from bad servitude to good servitude. So it's a picture of a, a good, divine, cosmic leader, God, who rescues his chosen people from an evil, bad, human, uh, national leader, Pharaoh. And there's a purpose to all of this. Uh, Moses, as he's recounting his uh, these events, he's putting them, them down in writing. A lot of scholars think that he's probably writing to the, to the next generation, to the, the second generation of Israel post-Exodus. So for those of you who, who might remember some of the stories from the Old Testament, Israel, they had refused to take possession of the promised land. They didn't trust in God they didn't trust that God would deliver the land for them. And so God disciplined them. He punished them as his children, made them wander in the wilderness for 40 years. So you see, for, for that generation, they would not be allowed to enter into the promised land. Rather, it would be their children and their descendants who would inherit it. And so now Moses is writing to, to that generation, a generation that had grown up in the wilderness and probably didn't live through or at the very least remember many of the events that we read about in Exodus. So God's deliverance of Israel from Egypt, his provision, his miracles, his divine intervention. Moses is writing to, to remind them 
before they entered into this land of who they were, who God was, what their origins were, what was required of them in this covenant that God had made with them as a people. And much of this is we're going to see in the first few chapters of Exodus, uh, beginning with our passage this morning. So, you know, if you're at home, uh, if you have your Bibles, hopefully this morning, you can turn with me to Exodus chapter one, verses one to 14. Now, as you flip there, uh, let me explain. One of the terms that we're going to be talking about this morning is the word blessing. It's not a word that appears in our passage. But it is a concept that is undergirding the entire narrative uh, in our passage, passage today. So blessing. We use that word today too. You know, hashtag blessed, right? Uh, so a quick search for this hashtag on Instagram yields 123 million posts. So I'll save you the trouble. You don't need to look on it uh, uh, on your phones. It's a lot of selfies. A lot of selfies. A lot of people posting pics of them living their best life now. Uh, and that's what we tend to think about if we're to use a hashtag like, you know, like this, right? Uh, just got a new ta- uh, just got a new car, hashtag blessed. Um, post a pic of me on vacation in Ibiza, hashtag blessed. Uh, got a free chicken sandwich from Chick-fil-A, blessed. It, it makes sense that we would post this and, and think we are blessed and we probably are. At the same time, uh, there's, there's more, I think, to being blessed than living your best life now, at least in terms of how we see uh, what that looks like. I think, in fact, in, in today's passage, we're going to see that God's blessings is sometimes accompanied by bitter circumstances. And it's these bitter circumstances that ultimately drive us to God for deliverance. So here's the first point as we begin. God's blessings have been, are being, and will be fulfilled. God's blessings have been, are being, and will be fulfilled. So that's verses 1 to 7. Our passage, uh, this entire book actually begins with a list of names. It's describing how these sons of Israel became the people of Israel. You see, they started with with 70 persons, and over time, they multiplied, they were fruitful, they increased in number and strength. Now, in the in the Hebrew Bible, actually, Exodus is not actually the name of the book that we're, we're studying for this sermon series. The book of Exodus is actually called the book of, and these are the names. So, you see, it was, it was common for the first few words of ancient literature to be used as the book's title. And I think here it's really appropriate given Moses's purpose. Now, a lot of English translations, they'll, they'll leave the, the and untranslated because it's, it's weird to start a sentence uh, with the word and. It's even more weird, perhaps, to, or strange to start a book with the word and because uh, it, it seems to apply it's continuing on from something, right? But I think Moses intentionally includes that that way and words it exactly actually like Genesis 46 8 where it says there and these are the names of the descendants of Israel who came into Egypt Jacob and his sons so Moses is actually intentionally doing this to indicate that Exodus is not a self-contained narrative it's part of a larger story a larger narrative part of the Pentateuch part of the Bible 
Now, the story that we come across in, in Exodus is actually picking up from the story where we left off in Genesis. Now, several years ago, some of you might remember if you guys were here, a Crossbridge preached through the entire Bible with sermons covering large portions of scriptures. Some, some sermons even covering a whole book uh, at a time. And through this sermon series, we saw the unfolding of this meta narrative, uh, this unified grand story of God's historical redemptive plan of salvation for his people in the world. And one of the things that really helped us trace the progression of the story and the the stages of salvation history was God's promises to Abraham. We saw that back in Genesis 12 and, and 15. And, and for those of us who, who are around, I think these three Abrahamic promises, these uh, blessings that God promised to Abraham were, were drilled into us. So what were they? Descendants, land, blessing to the nations. So in Genesis 12, 1 to 3, we read there, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God promises to bless Abraham. And the story in Genesis continues. Abraham has a, has a son, Isaac. Isaac has Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons who were reintroduced to in the beginning of our passage this morning. And by the end of Genesis, there's 70 sons, 70 sons of Israel. By the beginning of Exodus, 400 years have passed, four centuries. And we begin to see the fulfillment of God's blessing to Abraham. I will make you into a great nation. The sons of Israel have become the people of Israel. Notice the the language change here between verse 1 and verse 7. There's a hyperlink even back to Genesis 1, the creation account, where God says, remember him saying, be fruitful and multiply. And that's what they did. So verse 7, but the people of Israel were fruitful and they increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. These uh, first few verses that Moses begins, Exodus with, reminds his people that God's promise to Abraham of making him into a great nation had been fulfilled, was being fulfilled. Now, where does that leave us? Descendants, land, blessing to the nations. The, The first promise, the one of descendants, took 400 years to be fulfilled. As we continue on through the story of the Bible, the rest of the Old Testament from Exodus through Malachi focuses not only on Israel fulfilling the second promise, trying to capture or obtain the land, but actually desperately trying to hold on to it because they kept breaking the covenant they had with God. They kept disrupting and breaking out this relationship they had with God and being punished for it. Not until the New Testament with Jesus and the church do we see the fulfillment of the third promise, blessing to the nations. And it's still being fulfilled today as we obey the Great Commission in Matthew 28, Jesus' command, go and make disciples of all nations. God's blessings have been, are being, and will be fulfilled. 
So what does that mean for us? God's promise to bless the nations means for God's people to be from every nation. God's promise to bless the nations means for God's people to be from every nation. You know, when God said to Abraham that in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed, he meant that God's people would include both Jews and Gentiles. Paul writes in Romans 9 that all, not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. Not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. It is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise. And he writes in his letter to the Galatians that there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's no male and female, for you are all one in Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Now, Paul is not saying that there's no such thing as being Jewish or being a Gentile. There's no such thing as uh, being male or female. He's saying that none of these things matter with respect to salvation. They don't necessarily get you into heaven, nor do they prevent you from getting into heaven. And so neither race, nor ethnicity, nor social status, nor age, or demographic, none of these things are what determines who is part of God's covenant people. Rather, in Christ Jesus, God has created a new people, the church. And he has called us to make disciples of all nations. And so we see that God's blessings have been fulfilled, are being fulfilled, and will be fulfilled. Now, what difference does it make, right? These first seven verses point to the fact that, that God is faithful to his covenantal promises, even as that faithfulness takes place over the course of a long period of time. He hears, he remembers, he sees, he knows. Even as we are in the third stage of salvation history, obeying the Great Commission to make disciples of all nations, God continues to remain faithful to his promises and to his people. What he says, he will do. And this should give us assurance as time progresses, as circumstances change, that God remains faithful. Another implication is this, that an Old Testament professor of mine back in college, he would often say something along the lines of this, that when you say yes to Christ, you also say yes to 4,000 years of history. When you are joined to Christ, you're also joining a new family. He would often say in his classes that your family portrait just got a whole lot bigger. But the family that he's referring to is the people that we read about in the Old Testament and the New. This is our spiritual history. It has relevance for us today. It matters for us. So Moses sets out in these first few verses to show that God's blessings have been, are being, and will be fulfilled. And then very quickly, the passage switches gears. Very quickly, we find the second point, that God's blessings sometimes make life bitter. God's blessings sometimes make life bitter, verses 8 to 14. Because we've we seen these first few verses that, that God is blessing the people of Israel with strength and number. Uh, that's fulfilling the promise of descendants to Abraham. But interestingly, this actually puts the promise of land in jeopardy. 
You see, the, the sons of Israel had grown to become the people of Israel. But in order for that to happen, what ended up happening was they, they migrated. They went down to Egypt, which is not the promised land. And now they're stuck there, residing in Egypt as slaves. And these uh, bitter circumstances were brought on by Pharaoh, who saw a growing problem, who saw the, the blessings of God uh, on Israel as a threat. This was a new Pharaoh, one who didn't know Joseph, one who didn't uh, maybe wasn't around, didn't see God provide for all of Egypt during the famine. Uh, instead, all this Pharaoh saw was foreigners and outsiders, a, a nation within a nation that threatened his kingdom. One uh, commentator put it this way, that in a fallen world, the blessings of God are often so in conflict with the prevailing corrupt values of this world's culture that they function as a threat to those who are not aligned with God's will. Pharaoh saw the strength and number of Israel, and he was worried. He thought to deal shrewdly with them. All right, we, we see this term, maybe a reminder from our sermon two weeks ago, we see the idea of shrewdness again, except this is probably not the best example. Uh, but at least Pharaoh, you see, he had enough foresight into the future to act accordingly. Pharaoh thinks that they're going to rise up, that they're going to fight. He uses this idiom to, to mean that he thinks they're going to take possession of the land. Not necessarily escape from the land, but to take over Egypt. And so what does he decide to do? He, he decides to enslave them, to oppress them, to afflict them with, with heavy burdens. The irony, as the, the passage unfolds, is that the oppression actually causes the people of Israel to increase. It has the, the reverse effect. They, they increase, not decrease. So verse 12, the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, the more they spread abroad. The Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. And so the, the Egyptians now, they turn it up even more, verses 13 and 14. They ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Now, maybe at, while you're at home, you're listening, you pick up on some of the repetition, right, that the passage is emphasizing. Twice the word ruthless is mentioned. Five times the word work is mentioned. And so by the end of this passage, and this is how our passage ends today, I think we get the point, right? God's blessing of Israel was met with bitter circumstances. We're, we're going to see next week that it's going to get even worse as, as Pharaoh moves from implicit population control through slavery, and he moves to explicit population control through genocide, the killing of the, the newborn males. And, and by the end of today's passage, doesn't end on that great of a note. What are we left with? The situation is bad. And how do we see Pharaoh responding to Israel being blessed by God through growth and strength and number? Well, we see that Pharaoh responds by making their lives bitter and opposing the fulfillment of God's promises to his people. Things have escalated fast in the first 14 verses. But I think what it does is that it sets up the stage for deliverance from God. 
You see, in the first two chapters of Exodus, God is noticeably in the background. And as we read this, maybe it should elicit the question, where's God? Is he still faithful to his promises? I mean, that must be something that uh, the people of Israel are wondering after 400 years, right? As they're enduring slavery and hardship and oppression. Is God still faithful? Are these promises, are these blessings still going to be fulfilled? And we'll see when we get to the end of chapter 2 that the answer is yes. There in in chapter 2, 23 to 25, it says there, the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. The cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. He hears, he remembers, he sees, he knows. God does not take a backseat even when he's in the background. He doesn't take a backseat even when he's in the background. And this is true even when God's blessings sometimes make life bitter, not better. Not because of the blessings themselves, but because of what opposes these blessings as we live in a fallen world. So what do we, what's our takeaway this morning? What do we need to remember? What do we need to, to, to believe? What do we need to hear from God's word this morning? Remember that as Moses is writing this book, it's, it's pointing to deliverance and deliverance that comes from God. Deliverance, for at least for the people of Israel, from slavery uh, towards servitude, towards God, to being a covenant people. And in our case, it might not be slavery physically, but slavery to sin. God, and seeing God as our Redeemer, our Deliverer, is, is pointing to God's faithfulness to fulfilling his covenant promises. And so we remember this, that when blessings make life bitter, God is still at work for the better. When blessings make life bitter, God is still at work for the better. And I think we have to ask ourselves, what blessings are we talking about here, right? Uh, To be blessed is to be shown God's favor. It's an extension of his grace towards us. But the blessings that we're talking about here, particularly in Exodus, is not the same ones we might tend to think about when we use the uh, hashtag blessed uh, posts. I mean, can you imagine the, the Israelites, they're, they're posting a group selfie, you know, look how we multiplied, hashtag blessed, uh, as the picture is showing them working the fields, making brick and mortar as slaves. Not quite the same picture that we see in those 123 million Instagram posts. Probably. Uh, Blessings, especially as we consider Exodus, we're talking about salvation historical blessings, covenantal blessings, blessings that come with God's plan of redemption for this world, for his people. And this is ultimately through the the life, death, uh, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, So what is this specifically? Because of Jesus, we've been blessed with the promised and dwelling presence of the Holy Spirit who sanctifies us. Because of Jesus, we've been blessed with forgiveness of sin and eternal life. Because of Jesus, we've been blessed with these spiritual benefits that draw us closer to God. 
we have peace with God. We have a right relationship with God. And, and we, we do all these things. We have all these things as we live according to the upside down economy of the kingdom of God. Now, what this passage shows us this morning is that blessings and bitterness are not mutually exclusive. We, we might lead ourselves to, to believe that if we experience hardship, that we're not blessed. But in fact, I, I think we might be able to expect some bitter circumstances when it comes to some of God's blessings. For example, I mean, we have the Holy Spirit who sanctifies us, and uh, that's a huge blessing. But it's also a blessing that might bring some bitterness because following Jesus is, is not easy. Overcoming sin and temptation might make life bitter. Is, wouldn't it just be easier just to give in uh, and follow our natural sinful desires? Yeah, yeah, it would. But it wouldn't be sweeter. Bitter circumstances might come not in the form of struggles with sin, but in terms of opposition from others. So the moment you say yes to Christ, you might be saying no to family or other individuals. And that could make life bitter in many different ways because they may see God's promises not as a blessing, but as a threat. But through all this, Exodus 1 reminds us, it calls us, it drives us to God for deliverance. When blessings make life bitter, God is still at work for the better. Throughout Scripture's story, sin is repeatedly at work opposing God's plan and his promises. Whether through the, the genocidal pol policies of Pharaoh, the idolatry of the nations living the land as Israel was going into the promised land, or even today as we face persecution, maybe not so much in America, but uh, across the sea, or maybe just hardships or challenges that we face living a life as we follow Christ. Yet this is a story with an ending already written. God is faithful and his promises will ultimately be fulfilled. And so when blessings make life bitter, we remember that God is still at work for the better. Let's pray. God, we, um, we come before you. We are your people, but we are also broken in desperate need of sanctification, deliverance, redemption. Lord, we give thanks for your act by of sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for us, of redeeming not only your people, but this world as well. We give thanks for your blessings towards us. And we pray that as we follow you in this life, whatever circumstances we might endure, whatever hardships we might face, we would trust in you and look towards you and know that you are still at work for the better. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.